<laughs> By the way, if any of you ever do podcast, uh, try not to record a feedback episode with Chris Lester and Kitty Nakian in the room. It will send you into giggle fits and make recording take ten times as long as it needs to. Meanwhile, back at the feedback show. Artistic Whispers Productions presents... Antithesis Book One, Predestination, and Other Games of Chance. A podcast novel written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer. Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net. And now, dealing in episode number two. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Feedback Show. There's a lot of feedback to get through, as well as some news, but before I get into that, there is the obligatory warning. Antithesis is a serial that has a lot of suspense and turns on surprises. If you have not listened up to episode 13, stop, go back, run away, now, quickly, before you get spoiled. Heavy spoilers may be covered in the following news and feedback. Well, actually, there's no may about it. This episode has a lot of them. But first, the burning question. Where in the hell have I been? There was over a month between episodes 12 and 13, and I'm ostensibly on a weekly release schedule. Halloween weekend, there was SteamCon, which... At least I've been calling it SteamCon on my blog. The organizer, Ariane, corrected me on my blog about it quite publicly, and the proper name of the convention was actually Steam Powered. But, you know, whatever you want to call it. I had a great time. I got to run a couple panels, one on Victorian technology and how it affected the British Empire. The other was a discussion of steampunk multimedia from prop making through podcasting. Both panels were a great success and a lot of fun. The rest of the weekend for me was filled with meeting interesting people, and like all good cons, it now feels like a bit of a blur. The costumes were fabulous. If you check the Antithesis blog when this drops, I'm linking to uh, my photo gallery at Flickr from uh, from the event. The other panels I attended were great, and I'm looking forward to next year when we are in a bigger hotel with better parking, and I'm actually going to blog about it and do a report for SteamPod on it finally this coming week. Um, You can find the blog entry over at jdsawyer.net, so keep an eye open over there. Now, I went off to Steam Powered, and I had episode 13 almost ready to drop. It was mixed, it had the soundtrack, the effects, everything done except for a couple patches that I needed for lines I flubbed. Little things like calling the Sikh religion Sheikh, which is an honorific given to Muslim clerics. Not a good idea, um, particularly for, um, for continuity in the story. So I had to re-record those. Unfortunately, um... That's when the giant laryngeal demon bit me in the ass. You all know it by its more common name of Concrud. It's the virus du jour that cripples young and old alike after having a hospitable petri dish at a convention. Normally I don't succumb, or if I do it's just a minor cold, but this time... I woke up Monday morning unable to get out of bed, and stayed that way for two days. Two days, yeah. Well, you know, when I finally did get out of bed, my voice sounded like something that had crawled out of the ass end of a transformer. And that was when I could speak. 
And it stayed that way for two weeks, at least when it was working. A lot of the time it wasn't. Now, by the third week, I could actually talk, which was a great relief to the telemarketers who like to hear me bitch them out when they call in the afternoon. But um, my voice still wasn't quite up to snuff, and it didn't match my recorded narration for episode 13, and it didn't have enough endurance to redo the whole thing. So I just had to wait. Finally, last week, I was able to record the patches and get the episode out, and now I'm playing catch-up with everything that went begging during my incapacitation. And you guys have been great sports about it, uh, those of you that read the blog. In fact, uh, Mildred Katie sent in a lovely note when she read the blog post saying, Oh, okay, so it's not just the East Coast that got this flu. I work in tech support, just started the job, so I don't have vacation time. So I ended up without a voice for close to three weeks, and I still have a lingering cough two weeks later. Take your time and get better, Dan. So um, it's uh, it's good to know that... that some of you that were at SteamCon actually brought me this uh, present from the East Coast. I really appreciate it. But no, sincerely, my apologies for leaving you all hanging, and thank you very much for writing in with your well wishes and encouragement. I really, really appreciate it. In other news, even if you skipped the last feedback show and my banter at the end of the episodes, well, of course, come to think of it, if you did that, you probably aren't listening to this, but what the hell. You'll probably still have noticed that we have cover art now. Rhonda Carpenter, author of Mark of the Druid, available through patiobooks.com, noticed and posted a review of it. It's pretty short, but definitely sweet. She said, quote, Antithesis has a cover, and brother, is it hot. After which she linked to the show. Eh, I like good reviews. Thanks for the blurb and the link, Rhonda. I'm glad you like it. I had a blast making it. I actually shot it here in my apartment on the teeny little patch of floor that isn't given over to bookshelves and other geeky obscenities. It's amazing what you can do with a drop light, a step stool, and a top-notch model who knows what she's up to. I'm pretty pleased with the results, although MySpace has banned it, if you can believe it. Nothing on the cover you wouldn't see in a PG movie, but MySpace banned it for being too explicit. You know, this is the same MySpace that it plays regular hosts to pedophiles and Beyonce Knowles fans. Go figure. So I gotta ask, what is it with this new internet puritanism? The word clitoris gets filtered on Google while penis isn't. Philippa Ballantyne gets banned twice from iTunes. And now MySpace is bitching about my cover art. Ugh. Look... For all of you who might be in a position to do something about this, the world is not, and should not be, child safe. Particularly not the insipid post-boomer conception of child safe, which isn't geared towards helping children grow up to become self-reliant moral agents, but instead is geared towards keeping them dependent, helpless, and morally immature. Mm, but I digress. That's a rant for another day. But just in case you haven't figured it out yet, Antithesis is actually a novel for adults and maybe older teenagers. It's dark, it's twisted, it's ethically complex. The moral complications you're seeing now, well, yeah, they get worse over the course of the series. But I am very glad I have such a great crop of adult listeners and hope we can recruit some more. Now, in the last feedback show, I confessed that my creativity actually doesn't extend very far, and I begged you all for suggestions on names for the feedback show other than Feedback Show. And a couple of you actually bailed me out. Um, Mildred Katie sent in Feedback Episode. Determinations? Determinism has a history with predestination. It also seems to be a philosophy our dear professor is fully acquainted with, most like a scientific determinism since he realizes that his predictions can be off due to lack of data. 
And Millie's idea is a cool one, and I thought about this one for quite a while. But at the end of it, I think that it'll just confuse people, um, if as if they weren't confused enough by the title already. Particularly if a publisher picks up the series and actually lets me keep my titling convention. After all, there's Predestination and Other Games of Chance, the next book is Free Will and Other Compulsions, and every other book in the series has titles like that. Another big word, and I think they might mistakenly shelve me in the language learning section next to the other lexically promiscuous collections of bound and printed phonolinguistic constructions. Nobilis, upon hearing my desperate pleading for someone to bail me out of my creative impotence, called into the comment line with this. Here's a suggestion for your feedback show. By the way, this is Nobilis calling. A suggestion for what to call the feedback show. How about dealing in? Kind of as a play on dialing in. Bye. And Nobilis, I think you win. That is a fabulous idea. Dealing in. This is now officially Dealing In Episode 2. If I ever get off my ass and fix the mix in Episodes 1 through 3, I'll retcon this title back into the feedback shows, too. Those of you who follow me on Twitter already know this, but the rest of you may be slightly disturbed to learn that I've sold a Christmas story. This is the first short story sale to a paid market, so I'm more than a little maniacally excited about it. When Matt McGraw read the announcement on Twitter, he replied with, quote, I hope this isn't Joss Kyle disembowels Santa Claus, end quote. Well, Matt, I could let you sit in suspense, but I kind of already did that one with Man in the Rain, and I don't like to repeat myself. So no, this story is Victorian-era steampunk with an alt-history twist. It's called Cold Duty, and you can hear it this year at Christmas time on Steampod at www.steampod.org. I believe they're also listed on iTunes. Jeremy Harper writes in after episode 7, you'll remember that that's the episode where Marion is attacked in the bathroom by her husband and a couple of other agents. He says, Howdy, I've just caught up on Antithesis and it's great so far, although pretty disturbing in the last episode. I found you by way of Stephen H. Wilson and his Arbiter Chronicles podcast. A suggestion and a nitpick. First, your feed in iTunes doesn't include the first episode. The first listed episode is the prequel from Sculpting God. It would be nice for people who are just getting started to have the entire novel in the RSS rather than just the most recent few episodes. As for my nitpick, so, in one of the early episodes, number three, I think, Joss spies on the crowd in the space station by looking through tears in a newspaper. My question is, why are there newspapers? It seems like, on a space station, newsprint would be prohibitively expensive. Some of the narration mentions the expense of lifting foods from Earth, so obviously the paper isn't coming from there. On the other hand, unless this is a really big station, there's no way there would be enough trees in the green belt to cut down and turn into paper. This ignores completely the issue of whether or not anyone in the future will want newspapers when everyone has space iPhones that can automatically be updated with the latest news. Even in today's economy, the printed newspaper is on the decline due to expense and greater relevance of the internet. It's a tiny nitpick, but it was kind of jarring. Anyway, I really do like the story so far, and I'm looking forward to hearing where it goes. Thanks, J.D. Harper. Thanks for the nit, J.D. You are right, of course, and there actually is a rationale now included in the text that is off at a publisher right now, thanks to your nitpick. The notion is that the large format newspaper is something that some people will find physically comfortable, just like with books, and there will always be a niche market for printed copies. 
There isn't a large enough demand in the world of predestination that they will be manufactured every day like they are now, but print-on-demand vending machines are, I think, a plausible extension of the way that niche commoditization of previously mass-marketed products is beginning to become a market reality. For the iTunes thing, you were actually the fourth person in four days to tell me that. I did some poking around and found out that uh, I had a setting in WordPress set wrong, so it was artificially limiting the length of my feed. It is now fixed, and you should be able to get to all the episodes now without a problem. Please let me know if a problem like that crops up in the future, and thank you very much for telling me. Um, Hopefully I didn't lose too many listeners who logged in to find episode two as the first episode. This was a while back, but I hope you're still listening to the show. I hope it's holding your attention, and I'm glad to have you. And hopefully I'll be uh, back to regular Thursday release schedules uh, this week. I sent a version of those return comments back to Jeremy, to which he responded... That makes sense with the newspapers. Even if the print-on-demand newspaper is a minor luxury item in the story, Joss could afford it with all the money he has just won in the poker game. Exactly. Now you got it. Thanks for writing in again. I've mentioned before that almost all of the actors are operating in the dark. Only two of them have read the whole book, and the rest are waiting on episodes like the rest of you. Michael Lamangelo, one of the actors that helps fill up the corners of the world, wrote in to say, I'm enjoying the story immensely, and I look forward to each download. The story thus far is well-written and well-mixed, and of course, being one of the actors, I have to say, well-acted. Keep up the good work. Well, Mike, thanks for your help. You have been invaluable in pulling this off. Mildred Cady, who, as you probably guessed by now, um, is one of our most active feedback writers sent in another comment recently. She said, Hey there, first of all, I just listened to the feedback episode. Thank you for reading the first message I sent to you on the missing episode issue. It's really cool to hear my name read. It also encourages me to write back as much as your email response does. Excellent. Thank you, Mildred, and I'm glad you keep writing in. She continues, I think what you did, adding the older story links to the content manager, fixed things for iTunes in both the Antithesis and Sculpting God feeds, and the respective episode ones are now showing up. Which is great news, and uh, I hope the rest of you are not having a problem either. She continues, One note of feedback on Antithesis. Your Senator Shelley is a right sociopathic bastard. I hope that he eventually gets exactly what he deserves. I figure he's planning on something like becoming the president of North America by starting a justified war and throwing off any suspicion from himself by making his own daughter a victim. A short, victorious war to stem the tide of revolution that he can take credit for and away from that southerner and use that credit to become president. And I wonder if he will be more successful than the Russians were when they tried it with Japan back in 1904. I'm also guessing that he's looking at tying off a loose end by telling the Luna official that our card-playing defector is the man responsible for the attack on Marion, or perhaps the detective couple. Most likely Joss, though. Have a good one. Millie, I love hearing from you. Shelley does seem to be, as you so eloquently put it, a right sociopathic bastard, and your guess about what he's up to is officially entered into the stack of entries for the What the Hell is Senator Shelley Up To contest, but I'm not going to tell you whether you're right in any sense. But I am glad to have a fellow history nut on board. You might have figured this out by now, but I've got a 
bit of a history fetish, too. And there are echoes of all kinds of history resonating throughout the universe of Antithesis. I mean, you know, really, when you grow up thinking PBS is light entertainment with a father who makes his living teaching a peculiar part of Western history for a living, well, you know, what can you expect? Well, this, I know, but... You know, some of you might not remember the contest I promised in the last episode of Dealing In that Millie just entered, so let me explain the specifics. This is a contest for all of you who've been trying to predict what next abomination, I believe the technical word is plot twist, I'm going to inflict upon you. So, for those of you foolish enough to think that your rational minds can untangle my madness, this contest is entitled, What the Hell is Senator Shelley Up To? Here's the rules. Number one, do not post your guess on the blog. Email me at dan at jdsawyer.net with your answer to the following question. What would possess Shelley to order an attack on his own family and change his long-held public policy positions? Number two, send the email before January 10th, 2009. Number three, the winner will be announced in a feedback show that will drop the same week as the real answer is revealed in the story, where I will read and respond to each of the guesses before announcing the winner at the end. Number four, the most correct answer will receive a free My Name is Joss Kyle or Phalanx Pub t-shirt. Lunar Shadow also wrote in with a guess in the What the Hell is Shelley Up To contest. He was for colony independence, but something happened. I think it was the failing of Jim and Allie in capturing Joss Kyle Briggs, and the fact that Kyle had some dirt on Shelley that could destroy him, and now since he, Joss, is at the outer colony, Shelley is nervous, and is doing anything he can to find some glimmer of hope beyond that Joss can be captured. How's that for a theory? Enjoying the book immensely, and can't wait to see how it plays out. Of course, I'm not going to tell you whether you're right, but it is an interesting theory. Keep those guesses coming. Most of you will remember the pub crawl I did with Seth Harwood and Chris Lester back in September. I met some of you there, and all of you really cool people, too. Matt McGraw, who showed up at the pub crawl, asked me if it was worth the trouble listening to the prequel episode, The Man in the Rain. Of course, I'm a bit biased, but if you want to learn more about what makes Joss Kyle tick, and you have a strong stomach, it is a must-listen. Well, that's what I told Matt, anyway. It has the added virtue of being true. A couple days after the pub crawl, Matt sent in this quickie comment. I listened to The Man in the Rain the other day. Awesome. Gruesome. Very cool. Somehow, Matt, I knew you'd like it as soon as you told me you liked Quentin Tarantino films. Um, speaking of which, we are going to be doing another pub crawl, this time with uh, Scott Sigler, Chris Lester, Seth Harwood, and myself on January 10th. In the late afternoon after Scott's reading at Borderlands Books in San Francisco, we're still looking for a good venue, but I will announce that as soon as we nail one down. Philippa Ballantyne twittered me to let me know that only about half of the dialogue was showing up in these episodes, and that was making it really hard to keep track of what was going on. Now, normally I wouldn't take pleasure in publicly humiliating another podcaster, particularly one of my own actors who's a great author on her own, but you know, sometimes being south of the equator can be hazardous to your health. It turns out that she was listening at work with one earphone in, which makes sense since people yelling fuck all the time is hard to listen to on loudspeakers when you work in a library. The problem is that Antithesis has a stereo mix, so if you listen only through one earphone, you're only going to get half the story. If you must listen through one earphone, please switch your MP3 player to mono mode so that you can get everything. 
Zach Moore, the brains behind the Philosophy Roundtable apologia that I appear on, and the author of Evolution 101, which, by the way, if you want to understand how evolutionary theory works in plain language, is a must-listen. It's very accessible. Wrote in response to Episode 8, when Marion wakes up in the hospital with, Holy shit! That scream nearly stopped my heart! Great job, Robin, and the rest! Yeah, Robin fucking rocks. If you're listening, Robin, thank you again. Your performance still sucks me in every time I re-listen, and I know what's going to happen. And thank you for writing in again, Zach. I'm glad it's still holding your interest. You can find all Zach's podcasts on iTunes or at www.drzach.net. Eldon Roth of the Banter Over a Cigarette podcast wrote in and said, Hey, I hate to bother you. Loved Sculpting God. I heard the promo for your new novel on the Metamore City podcast, but I can't seem to find it on iTunes. Blah, 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 blah. Yep. The iTunes issue I've dealt with already. Um, I wrote him back. He's now on the feed and everything is cool. And then he uh, goes on to say, One final thing. I've chosen to feature the promo for Predestination on my podcast found at http colon slash slash boacblogcast.wordpress.com. Feel free to swing by on and offer your feedback. Have a nice rest of your day. No bother at all, Eldon. The feed problem has been fixed. As I said, it was an issue with the WordPress settings and we're on now. And thank you very much for the promo play. I have just subscribed to your podcast and uh, haven't actually listened to any of it yet. But it's on my to-do list for this week and I will definitely drop feedback to you in return. With that in mind, I'd like to announce the second ever Antithesis Contest. We need more listeners, so to that end, the first promotional mission for all you Resistance members is officially on. Before January 1st, if you post a review on iTunes that says something other than This guy is a putz, let's go throw a flaming bag of poo at his house, because that's the one I'm going to write, I'll put your name in a hat. On January 2nd, after I've recovered from New Year's Eve, I'll draw out a winner who will receive a free My Name is Joss Kyle t-shirt. For those of you that know me, yes, I'll be using a different hat than the one I wear every day. I don't want the names falling out when I go to the coffee shop. And as you may have guessed from all this contestiness, t-shirts are now designed and will be available this week. Keep an eye on the blog at jdsawyer.net for details. Now, a few weeks ago, I posted on my blog about the sound thrashing I got from an editor about the title of the book and the series, something about not everyone is a walking lexicon and knows what antithesis means, and predestination and other games of chance sounds like a short story anthology. He is, of course, quite correct in that assessment, and it's an issue I've been aware of for a long time. Now that I'm trying for publication, the day is fast approaching when I may need a new title for the series. And Tom posted on the blog on this issue saying, Sounds like fun. As for the title, once I remembered what it meant, I liked it, but I did forget it. Which, of course, is exactly the problem. I'll keep working here on new titles for the series until I find something that fits... I may have to lock myself in a closet for a while and try to induce a vision to do it, though. Try That discovered me when I was interviewed by Larry Bushy. He says, Just listen to the Going Linux podcast, which is a very good podcast, so I thought I'd traipse on over and have a look at what's available. Listening to Chapter 5 of Antithesis, I liked what I saw, and so far I like what I hear. This is a new format for me. I've listened to a couple other podcasts that tell a story, but I must admit I do like the style you use. I also like the blurb you do at the end of each chapter. In fact, I find them almost as good as the story. Sad, I know. 
I'm a listener from England, and most of my work colleagues are too stupid to realize what fun it is listening to podcasts on whatever subject that may interest them, so I'm sorry to say I can't get anyone else interested in the story. Looking forward to listening to the rest of the chapters and to see what else you do. Thanks for the effort and for the fun. Uh, thanks for writing in Try That. I'm really glad you're enjoying this story so far and that it's fun. That's what it's for. And also that the format sits well on your ears. Um, some people don't like the sound effects and the music. They prefer a straight reading. Other people like a real drama without a narrator intruding all the time. This hybrid format is a bit weird for a lot of people, and so I'm always happy when someone really likes it. And thank you for your noble effort to recruit other listeners. A lot of the world just hasn't discovered podcasting yet, alas. But when they do, remind them. Since the last feedback show, there have been quite a few big reveals in the plot. According to most frequent feedbacker Lunar Shadow, learning that Douglas Reeves ran the Lunar Resistance was the biggest one. He says, Oh shit, that last beat with Douglas Reeves threw me for a loop, and the Hartmans are coming back into the thick of things. Kick ass! Well, as you've learned since then, Lunar Shadow, it gets more complicated even than that. But yes, the Hartmans are back in play. Seriously back in play. Episode 13 is the episode in which we find out that they've accepted Reeves' commission, and it's also the first episode that deals with the religious aspect of the world of Antithesis in any substantive way. The first, but not the last. Although the characters we've seen so far are mostly secular in the way they deal with the world, even if they have religious convictions, Jim and Allie are Catholic, for example, while Percy and Marianne are Methodist, and Cassie is loosely connected to the cult of the goddess Luna, that is beginning to change, as we saw when we met the Children of Light. Religion as a force in world affairs is something that's hard to ignore if you live now, and it's something that's always fascinated me historically. I've also always found that m the mythologically lively universe of, uh, of stories like Babylon 5, for example, are a lot more convincing and honest than the ideological uniformity of Star Trek. If it's a topic you're interested in as well, hopefully you'll find the way I deal with it in Antithesis to be provocative, and if you don't, hopefully it's tolerable and not preachy. I do engage it more explicitly in a sociology article I just sold to the journal Sci-Fi, that's Phi as in philosophy, P-H-I, not F-I as in fiction, which will be airing in the first couple weeks of the new year. In that article I talk about science, singularity, and apotheosis as the forces shaping science fiction into a medium for serious religious discourse, which some of you might find intriguing. A listener wrote in, he's from Holland, so I don't know how to pronounce this, but Nido Medea heard me on Larry Bushy's Going Linux podcast and wrote in twice with feedback for Antithesis and for Sculpting God. And since both emails are related, I'm going to read them both here. I heard you on a Linux podcast. I listened to many of them, so I'm not sure which one it was. It was one which recently had an interview with you. I've downloaded a couple episodes of Sculpting God. I'm listening to the first episode, and I'm very impressed by it. I wanted to write you to thank you. I've added it to my Bash Potter feed. I'm looking forward to listening to the rest of the episodes. I've been a Linux user for about six years now, and I'm subscribed to a wide selection of Linux podcasts. I'm also subscribed to a few others, but even including them, I'm very impressed by the richness of yours. Even when I compare it to audiobooks, I find just this episode one of it better. I wonder how much time usually goes into creating an episode. Kind regards. 
Well, when I started out doing Sculpting God, a typical episode took me about 10 hours to do. By the time I got to The Man in the Rain, I was averaging about 40 hours per episode, which is clearly way too much time if I wanted to keep having, you know, a life. Over the course of the first few episodes of Predestination, I got the production time back down to 25 hours as I adapted to the new complexities of the way I was mixing. And then some new toys helped me push it down again to about 13 hours per episode. Of course, sometimes for big episodes like episode 13, I need to put in a little extra work. But most of the time, 13 to 15 man hours is about what it takes from recording through compression. Naito's second note, which he wrote once he got into Antithesis, says, You've probably seen my previous email when I just heard the first episode of Sculpting God. Right now I'm at the end of it, I think, episode 9. At the beginning of episode 9 of Antithesis, I was just waiting for my favorite character from The Man in the Rain to show up. Great timing there. Yeah, after The Man in the Rain, I was really happy to have Mondu show up, too. And he'll show up again, don't worry. He's one of my favorites of all the minor characters. I find Antithesis appealing, and I'm planning to continue listening. I'm subscribed to quite a number of podcasts, but this one is definitely one of the high-priority list of my listening schedule. You don't even need four episodes to catch my attention. I was playing the second episode directly after the first started. I found the poker games were a very interesting element of the first few episodes. An interesting notion. I'm the world's worst poker player, and I hate watching poker games on TV. But I'm hoping to see a bit of that action happening again. I'm very pleased that you're liking it so much. The notion of poker continues shifting from the foreground to the background and back again over all the books in this series, as does the notion of chess. The idea was one I got from an uncle of mine who was a diplomat. When I was nine or ten, I asked if he could explain what he did, but I didn't know what a diplomat was. He told me after a long explanation that if you know how to play poker well, and you know how to play chess well, you know the most important things you need to know in order to be a good diplomat. When I got into writing stories about a defecting politician who plays poker, my uncle's words came back to me and gave me the idea for using poker and chess as a meta-language throughout the series. So, hopefully it'll be enough for you to uh, keep getting your fix of poker action you like. He continues... I've also listened to an episode or two of Apologia. Still a big list in my queue, but I'm getting there. You can add a Dutchman to your listener list. I think there's also another Dutchman listening, but I'm not sure. A question I'd like to ask you is this. Why is this licensed under a no-derivative license? I'm just wondering about the reasoning behind it. In extension to that reasoning, would burning it to a CD for someone, or transcoding it to Og Vorbis format for storage purposes, or recording it for another listening device be considered derivatives? Technically, the integrity of the recording would be fine in lossless formats, but it is still a derivative. There's something extra to be said of lossy formats because it actually changes the representation of the original recording. Apart from it being considered a derivative, would you mind such conversions to be done and having these distributed? I don't have any clear-cut ideas yet, but given transcoding audio and video is sort of my hobby, I'm pretty sure I could find a use for it later. I'm glad you liked Apologia. In answer to your question, a derivative work is a song, story, novel, film, etc. that's set in the universe or depends on material from the series. Mashups, re-edits, and other stuff like that are also derivative works. Legally speaking, transcoding the file to burn it on CD or store it in AUG format or whatnot are not derivatives, and they are perfectly acceptable under the license. 
What the license does mean is that you can't change the file, you can't sell it, and you can't remove any of the credits or claim someone else created it. But putting it on a CD and giving it to family members at Christmas? Totally fine. Putting it on SD cards and using them to pelt your enemies with? As far as I'm concerned, that's great too, but you might run afoul of local laws regarding assault. Putting it on a loudspeaker and blasting your neighborhood with it from the roof of your car. Again, I got no problem with that. Just, you know, be careful about avoiding the cops. Just don't change it or sell it or claim I didn't make it and everything's cool. In fact, I am thrilled when you distribute it to your friends. It means I get more listeners. And as we've all learned from Scott Sigler, narcissism is the new heroin. Joe Rosen also discovered the show. He writes, I guess now is as good a time as any to drop you a note. I am just taken way, way aback. I had not heard of J. Daniel Sawyer before I listened to Chasing the Bard. Yeah, I know, I'm a little behind the curve. And I haven't listened to Sculpting God yet, but I am impressed with Antithesis. And I'm glad it's so good. With all the threads you dropped in the feed, it sounds like this set of books is going to be something of a life's work for you. At least long in the making. And I would feel pretty bad for not liking it. Anyhow, keep it up there, and I hope you get well soon. P.S. I was excited to hear Pip had a part. Until I heard the scene. I actually had to pause my Zune and take a breath before I proceeded. That encounter was a bit odd. Not bad just odd well thank you very much and i am feeling a lot better and i think i'm gonna go away now and bask in that praise for a few moments Ah, okay done yeah it's a set of books that is turning into something of a life's work for me but man i am loving it i'm really glad it's at least half as fun to listen to as it is to write pip's scene yeah, I, I was wondering what kind of reactions that would get. I'm actually really curious to hear more about the oddness. My approach to writing sex was influenced quite young when I was given a copy of the book The Joy of Writing Sex by Elizabeth Benedict, which deals with the perils and glories of well-drawn sex scenes that serve the characters in the story. I'm a big believer, dramatically speaking, of incoitus veritas, i.e. sex reveals a lot about the people that are having it, at least to themselves. So when it came to Cassie and Brittany's love scene, I just looked at it through Cassie's eyes and showed it through her mist of conflicting needs and desires, and I'm glad it wasn't unpleasant, and I hope it was something that got you thinking. Pip and Stephanie both did a fabulous job. The scene would not have played well without good performances. Keep your eyes peeled for Brittany, though. She shows up a few more times in the story, and always at interesting times. And yes, I mean interesting in the Chinese cursed sense of the word. Finally, we've got two, count them, two iTunes reviews and our first entries into the hat. Not surprisingly, they're by our two most frequent feedbackers. The first from Mildred Katie, who says, quote, This is a very well-written story that has me hanging on for the next episode because I need to know what happens. It's also very well produced with the voice talents of a number of the best podcast fiction authors and readers out there. The review is five stars. Millie, I don't know what to say, but thank you. Reviews like that from audience members are the thing that make all of this worth it. 
Lunar Shadow also left a five-star review calling it a, quote, brilliant character-driven story. The author who brought you Sculpting God goes a quantum leap further with Predestination and other games of chance. This exciting story is the first in what promises to be an amazing series. Has it ever struck anyone what a strange phrase quantum leap is? After all, as we learned in the last episode from William Ellison, a quantum a quanta is a tiny packet of photons, subatomic stuff. A quantum leap is pretty small. Okay, I know I'm full of shit, and it's the fault of that Belisarius TV show from the early 90s. Thanks loads, Lunar Shadow. Your names are in the hat for the free t-shirt. As I mentioned earlier, anyone else who leaves a review before January 1st also gets a name in the hat. That's it for the feedback for Antithesis, but I also got some great feedback on Sculpting God, and since this is the only active fiction feed right now, I'm going to respond to it here, since Sculpting God is on hiatus until Antithesis finishes up. If you don't like Sculpting God, feel free to ring off now, and I'll catch you on the next episode of Antithesis. They gone yet? Okay. So, Sculpting God feedback. Jenny, who I met at the pub crawl and with whom I got into a protracted argument about bioethics and religion, yes, I really actually do think that's a fun thing to do, decided to check out Sculpting God on the Strength of Antithesis. She wrote in twice, the first time about the pilot episode, Angels Unawares. For those of you who haven't heard it or listened to it a long time ago, Angels Unawares is a coming-of-age fantasy story set in late 19th century Scotland. Jenny says... Squee at you! Oh my god, that was beautiful! I adored the gorgeous imagery and hints of a larger story, even though the piece stood very well on its own. Oh, you have been officially fangirled over by Art's wife. He just put in the CD you gave us last night, and we've been listening to it. Loved the first story so much I had to track down a place where I could leave a comment and fangirl a bit. This kind of feedback just makes me smile. I don't know what else to say to it, aside from maybe quoting Tolkien at you, but I'll spare you that one for now. She also wrote in on episode two of Sculpting God, The Coffee Service, the story of a shut-in who has a very unusual guest in for coffee. It's kind of a cross between memoir, horror, and nostalgia. It, well, if Norman Bates was a nice, nostalgic guy who you'd like to have coffee with, anyway. She says, Love, love, love this one forever! Ooh, October was the perfect time to listen to this. I love it when stories have other ideas and the characters narrate their own parts. That's when they come out the best! Thanks again, Jenny. Thank you very, very much. I hope you show up to the next pub crawl on January 10th. And last on the list for this episode is a question for all of you. I do four podcasts. There's this one, there's Sculpting God, then there are the nonfiction casts, the Polyschismatic Reprobates Hour, which is an interview and social commentary show where I talk to scientists and creative types, other offbeat interesting folk that catch my interest, and there's also Apologio, which is a pub discussion type roundtable on philosophy, ethics, and religion. My question for all of you is this. If I created a feed with all of the episodes from all of the podcasts in it and continued updating it every time a new episode of anything came out, would you find it useful, the sort of Dan Sawyer Uber feed? Let me know. And um, that's it for this episode of Dealing In. I'll catch you next time on Predestination with episode 14, uh, which should drop Thursday. And until then, remember... It isn't whether you win or lose, it's how you rig the game.